I'm Nick Harvey-Doyle, an Anawan man from the northern tablelands of New South Wales. The Yarn podcast is made on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong people. We'd like to acknowledge First Nations people as the first storytellers. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. How has the housing crisis affected you guys? I kind of went back home for a bit when COVID hit, but when I came back, the rent just skyrocketed like so bad. We submitted like 40-something applications applications before we got a house. Took us like four months. We basically just took the first one we got. I have to spend almost 50% of my scholarship to pay the rent. The price of the rent increased a lot. I mean, if we want to find a room near our uni, so the price is very high. I know a lot of the private accommodations hike up prices quite a bit, and you don't really have a choice, especially if you're like international students and stuff. You can't just like go back to like my parents' place and just stay for a little bit. It's either like couch to couch with other people, or I don't even want to think what the worst could be. From the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne, this is The Yarn. I'm Thomas Phillips. Back in January, China's Education Ministry made a snap decision. Effective immediately, online study at foreign universities was banned. Tens of thousands of students scrambled to secure visas and book flights to Australia in time for semester one. To make matters worse, their new home was in the midst of a rental crisis. This week, we're bringing you two interviews about the citizens' coverage of Melbourne's housing shortage and how international students are especially vulnerable to rental exploitation. First up, Gwen Liu discusses her article about third-party property brokers, which was co-published by Crikey. These brokers find clients through Chinese social media and property sites, acting as an intermediary between desperate international students and Australian real estate agents. They secure properties on behalf of tenants by offering agents rental payments much higher than market rates. On top of this, they charge expensive brokering fees. But with Melbourne's vacancy rate at a record low of 0.8%, many international students are willing to pay. I started by asking Gwen how these brokers operate. International students describe them as the agents of the agent. They are actually independent companies. They don't work for the real estate agency here, and they are actually based in China, and they post apartment information on Chinese social mediums. So at first, Normally, international students will thought they talk with an Australia real estate agent, but actually they are not. They don't notice this until they sign the contracts. They are two separate contracts. One is with the third-party broker and the other was with the local real estate agent. So what they do is these brokers ask for a service fee. They tell the international students that if you pay me like $400 to $800, I can secure whatever apartment you want. So what they do is actually helping international students to apply for the apartment. 
So Jackson, who's an international student, arrived in Melbourne this February, and he paid these third-party brokers four hundred dollars. And what he got is a eleven-month contract, which is quite weird because normally we got like a twelve-month contracts. And so when he tried to negotiate a whole year contracts, the third-party brokers told him that the landlord only gives you thirty minutes to think about if you want this lease or not. If not, we're gonna give this to the next renter. So Jackson was quite shocked. Because he already paid four hundred dollars, and he realized that because eleven months later it will be a new semester start, and they can raise the price again, or they can get a new service fee again. And there is another student, Custer. He also arrived this early this year, and he paid six hundred dollars. It's two hundred dollars more than Jackson. And what happens to him is. His rent is higher than the market value. I checked similar apartment in the same building as Tasca's, and he's kind of paying one hundred more dollars more than other renters living in the same building with him, and he didn't notice that until I interviewed him. Like Jackson, Jackson realized that he's being exploited after talking with the third party. Brokers, but a lot of students are actually like Tasca. They feel grateful to these third-party brokers because on Chinese social mediums they post things about rental markets in Australia, like how bad it is. So the students kind very desperate of apartments before they come in here, though they are willing to do a lot of things. They call this like sacrifice. They were like, as long as I can have a place to live, I don't mind. So, how difficult is it for international students in Melbourne to find accommodation right now without a broker? It's kind of quite hard. Take Jackson as an example. Jackson studied in Canada for four years, and he exactly know how to apply for a apartment, but keep failing. I think one of the reasons is the whole Australia is in rental crisis. It's not just for international students; it's even for domestic students or just Australians. It is hard. So there is an example that an international student, if they want to secure a apartment without the help of the third broker, a girl named Becca, early this year in January, she paid a whole year rent in advance, twenty thousand dollars in advance to secure an apartment. So why is it so difficult to take legal action against these brokers? I talk with several experts working in the renting industry, and they never heard about them. They was quite shocked when I first tell them that there is an agent of the agents between the renters and real estate agency, and they were quite confused when I first mentioned this to them. So if nobody noticed this, there won't be action. And third-party brokers is actually a great area in Australia rental market. It is because they sign things separately. If the service fee is in their leasing agreement, it will be illegal. But they're quite smart. They separate it. One is with this broker company, and the other was with the local real estate agency. And how are the shortcomings of purpose-built student accommodation contributing to this problem? I talked with the officer from City of Melbourne, and 
they actually working on the rental crisis of international students right now. And the solution is to build more purpose-built student accommodation. But I find international students who secured um, student accommodation through a third party brokers who also paid higher. It's like $50 higher than her neighbors. And so everything goes through these third party brokers. The price is just higher. And at the same time, you are paying their service fee. So what are some potential ways to protect international students from rental exploitation? I think the first thing is educating. You have to let the student realize what is their rights as a renter in Australia because people start to looking for accommodations before they arrive in Australia. And the things is quite different in their own country. So that's why these third brokers exist, because they know better. They can know both sides. They know how the international thinks. They know how desperate international student is. And they also know that these students, before they come into Australia, they have no idea about the rental market and no idea about the regulations here or their rights here, so they can take advantage of this. And so educating is very important. I think the most easiest way to get resource is Victoria tenants. They got a lot of the information about tenants' rights, and they also got translated versions in over 10 languages, I think. That was Gwen Liu. Next, Hannah Vandenbokada on her article about scammers targeting Facebook property groups in Melbourne. The victims are often international students. Many report paying a bond and advance rent without attending a viewing, only to find the property never existed. I started by asking Hannah why so many people are using Facebook groups to find property instead of official real estate sites. It's just a problem of the rental crisis. So real estate agent companies, they're like putting high requirements for everybody trying to enter the rental market. So what my interviewee, Shuri, in the article said, it's not her real name, it's a pseudonym, but she told me that she tried to go to a company, but they all declined her because she did not have a steady income. She did not have any rental history. So these are all requirements that a lot of population groups, I feel, have difficulties with. I think that's like the biggest reason why people go to Facebook. I mean, I also tried to find a new place this year and I also did not succeed because every time I tried, they would just decline me and they would say, I only have a side job, which does not earn a lot of money, but it's enough to pay rent. But they say, oh, no, it's not steady enough. We don't know if you're reliable. So, yeah, I ended up going for student accommodation because the stress was too high. (laughs) So informal real estate platforms like Facebook groups are less discriminatory, but they're also susceptible to fraud. What kind of scams are operating in these groups? So the scams that uh, Shuri told me about, the most people she encountered just asked her straightforward uh, to pay a security deposit via email. It's a big red flag, I guess. So she was able to not fall victim to that. There was this other scammer who also like refused to let her see the place. He had always kind of an excuse saying, oh, I have COVID, I cannot see you. Oh, the previous tenant is still in the place. So even though she said she 
almost got tricked by him because he sent through a lot of legitimate documents like his ID, his passport. He sent even a rental agreement. But yeah, just the fact that he did not let her see the place was too sketchy for her. And then also one woman she encountered told her she wanted to rent a place via Airbnb. But she told her she first had to pay her bonds and a security deposit before she could confirm the booking. And that also seems sketchy for her because she don't have to pay a bond on Airbnb. So I think a lot of people use property that does not even exist. I guess also places from other real estate agencies and all this stuff. So... Why are international students and other newcomers especially vulnerable to these scams? Because they just arrived in Australia. And so, like I said, you need like a wage, a steady income, a rental history. Most people don't have that at all. Also, there's so many people from all kinds of countries posting on Facebook and they some of them don't really speak English very well as well. So then it's very hard to warn them for the dangers. And also they just don't know how things work here. So they might trust a scammer. You also interviewed the admins of popular Melbourne Facebook groups like Fairy Floss, Real Estate and Melbourne Rooms for Rent. What did these admins tell you about the frequency of these scams and how they would intervene? Well, they both uh, are groups uh, where accommodation can be searched on, but they're different because very floss real estate is seen as very legit by a lot of people. It's main admin, just in better words, he told me he barely gets scammers. So what he mostly told me is that he they have like very strong, strong community guidelines. So every time someone enters the group, he gives them the guidelines. They have to agree to it. He also often re-mentions it in the group. So everybody keeps to it. He blocks members immediately when they get reported, when there's posts with no photos or not enough details. He will delete it or if they not reply to his messages, he will also delete the post or block them. So he has these very strong rules. So for the other Facebook group, uh, Melbourne Rooms for Rent, Daniel Marantelli, who I interviewed, he told me that he actually became admin because he saw so many people getting scammed and he thought, oh, someone has to do something about that. So he has to report like 10 to 15 scams every day, which is like a huge difference. And I think the way he wants to solve this is he told me he wants to make the guidelines stricter because now one of the guidelines is, oh, don't scam, which is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> you're not going to listen to that if you're a scammer. Um, so make the guidelines more strict. Uh, he will make reporting also more easily used for they told me that that's kind of the things they can do right now, but if they message other people privately, they are not really able to control that. Did they have any insights about how this problem might be solved? So they both imply that it's the responsibility of the people searching for a house. They should be aware of this. They told me they could only like work on what they can do with the platform. Uh, but they cannot really control private messages. But what they also uh, told me is that they think 
Facebook should definitely do more. They both mentioned that to me. They should verify people joining Facebook more and prevent scammers from entering. Um, while Daniel Marantelli said that they just don't block members quickly enough because he told me about all these spammers and scammers he tries to block from Facebook, but they just ignore him. That was Hannah van den Bokhade. The Yarn is from the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. It's produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. This episode was produced and edited by me and mastered by Elliot Rodriguez. Our executive producer is Louisa Lim. I'm Thomas Phillips. See you next week. <laughs>